Assalamu alaikum. Um, if everyone can please have a seat, we're going to get started, inshallah. Welcome to the second session of tonight's program entitled An Akhara State of Mind. Our speaker for this session is Sister Yasmin Mojahid. Just a quick bio. Yasmin Mojahid received her degree in psychology and her master's in journalism and mass communication. Currently, she's an independent media consultant, a writer for the Huffington Post, and an author for SahabWeb.com, as well as for her own website, YasminMojahid.com. And her works have appeared worldwide. So without further ado, Sister Yasmin Mojahid. Assalamu alaikum. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan al-rajim. rahman al-rahim. the topic that I'm speaking about today is a topic which is relevant to all of us. And that's because it's the topic of essentially balancing dunya and akhirah, or dunya and deen. But I don't even really like using it in that way or even describing it in that way. Because to say that we're balancing dunya and akhirah is as if we're saying that we're going to spend some time on dunya and some time on akhirah that it's, it's like, you know, we kind of will do, we'll, we'll spend some of our time working for dunya and some of our time working for akhirah. And I'd like to ask you to actually think about it in a different way. I'd like you to think about it as a destination and a vehicle. So for example, you guys are in St. Louis right now. Suppose that you want to get to Chicago. So your destination is Chicago. But how are you going to get there? You're going to take a car, say. So your vehicle is the car, but your destination is Chicago. This is how I want you to see dunya and akhirah. Dunya is your goal. Dunya is your destination. Everything you do should be about dunya. I'm sorry, akhirah is your destination. <laughs> Y'all are like, what? She lost her mind. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. <laughs> um, akhirah is your destination. And akhirah is what you work for. And the way to get there is with dunya. So the way we use dunya is for just one reason, and that is to get us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and get us in a better place in akhirah. So when you answer this question of how do I um, you know, be in dunya, how do I be in dunya, and at the same time, think about my akhirah. You use dunya to get to your akhirah. So how do you do that? Well, you have a lot of roles, right? So you have the role as a student. A lot of people in this room are students. At some point, you're going to have the role, or, or, or some already do, have the role of spouse. You're the, you have the role of a brother, sister, daughter. In every single one of these roles, you can use that to get you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that the purpose of why you and I were created, there's only one purpose why we were created. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنِّ وَالْإِنسِ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That I have not created jinn and human beings except for one reason, except for one single purpose. 
And that is the purpose of fulfilling ubudiyah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For the purpose of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does that tell you? That tells you that every single thing that you do in this life can be an act of ibadah, can be an act of worship. But you have to have the right focus. And I want to share with you guys a hadith because this hadith, subhanAllah, it's one of my favorite hadith. And it talks about these two different focuses. So you know how some people, everything they do, they're thinking about dunya. So their, their thoughts are, okay, I want to get my degree. And then after I get my degree, I want to make money. And then after I make money, I want to have the biggest house. And then after that, I want to have the nicest car. And I want to have the nicest clothes. And I want to, I mean, I want to be the prettiest. Or I want to be the, all of these types of goals are dunya goals. And that's where it ends. And the Prophet ﷺ told us the difference between those who make their ultimate purpose or their primary concern this life versus those who make their primary concern the next life. And they're not the same. So I'm going to tell you this hadith and then I'm going to inshallah explain it because it's very, very deep. And you're going to find this actually if you, you really experience this in your life. The Prophet ﷺ said that the one who makes akhirah, the hereafter, his primary concern. So that's what he's most concerned about or she's most concerned about. A few things happen. First, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes him free of want. So what this means is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put contentment in that person's heart. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of that person and internally they will be sufficed. Second, he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will gather his affairs. So you know how sometimes you go through life and you're trying to do a million things at once, right? You have all of these responsibilities. You have all of these um, different directions. You feel like you're kind of pulled in different directions. And this feeling of being scattered, it's the opposite. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when you make your focus dunya, when you make your focus akhirah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gathers your affairs. So things will work out for you and things will actually become easier for you. Whatever you're doing in dunya becomes easier. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala facilitates it because you've made akhirah your primary concern. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that this life will come to you. The dunya will come to you even if it's hating to come to you. So the things of this life will still come to you. You don't have to run after dunya. If you make akhirah your primary concern, this dunya actually runs after you. And then the other side, the one who makes this life his primary concern. This is the person who's running after only dunya. It ends at dunya. Dunya has become the destination. They're not trying to get to, to akhirah. It's about dunya. It's about my money, my degree, my status, my wealth. That's all it's about. That this person, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when someone makes this life his primary concern, then he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts poverty between this person's eyes. Poverty between his eyes. What do you think that means? This is like a person who always feels like they don't have enough. This is a person who always, no matter how much they have, they always feel poor. This person doesn't feel rich. This person feels poor. And they could have all the money in the world and all the power in the world, but inside they still feel that lack. They still feel like they don't have enough. Poverty between the eyes. And if you think about that image, 
If you have something between your eyes, you're always going to see it. It's, I mean, it's hanging there. You're never not going to see it. And so this is poverty, that they feel like it's not enough. And you know how the person who runs after dunya, you know if you want a, um, <coughs> a certain car, right? And you're running after getting this particular model. But then what happens over time, now you need the new model, right? And then now you need to upgrade. And the same thing with your phone, and the same thing with your laptop, and the same thing that in dunya, whenever you run after dunya, eventually you get to a point where you're not satisfied anymore. You want more. And that's the, that's the characteristic of running after dunya, is it never actually fills you, that you always want more and more and more. And that's the poverty between the eyes. And something else happens when you make dunya your primary concern, that your matters become scattered. Now, this, this statement I'm going to explain for a second, meaning that the dunya itself becomes scattered. This is when you're trying to do one thing, another thing breaks. You run after that, another thing runs away. The more that you run after the dunya, the more it runs away from you. The more you try to chase after, for example, the more you try to chase after the approval of people, you know what happens? The less approval you get from people. This is part of running after dunya. The more you try to chase status, the less and more degraded you're going to be because you're chasing after it. And it's only when you leave it and you don't care about it that it comes after you. If you don't care about the status, all of a sudden you're, dig you're, you're going to be elevated and you're going to be given dignity. And if you don't, you're not running after the approval of the people, the people will approve of you. If you run after the love of the people and that's your primary concern, guess what? You're never going to have it. Whereas it's when you leave it and you make your primary concern Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know what ends up happening? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when he, loves, when he loves a servant, he calls to the angels and he says, I love so-and-so, so love them. And then the angels say to the people on earth that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves so-and-so, so love them. And then that person will have acceptance in this life. So you see what gives you acceptance. What is it that ends up giving you that love that you want? It's the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not chasing after it. And so this hadith tells you that this person who makes dunya, who runs after dunya, dunya actually runs away from him. And, and after you run after it, you're only going to get as much as what was written for you anyways. You don't get more because you ran after it. And there's another hadith where the, the companions came to the Prophet ﷺ and they asked him kind of like the, um, the question that we all want to know the answer to. And that is, how can I make Allah love me and the people love me? Isn't that what everyone wants? Allah to love them and the people to love them. The Prophet ﷺ, his answer is so profound. He said, have zuhd, meaning don't be, have um, abstain or don't be attached to this life, to dunya, and Allah will love you. And have zuhd, do not be attached to what is in the hands of the people, and the people will love you. This, subhanAllah, there's a lot of meaning in this hadith. If you think about, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the one who is not attached to this life. But even in terms of the people, when you, you know how some people who, um, they always want what others have, these are the types of people who maybe run after, these are the types of people who um, either they run after what the other people have, so they're, they're coveting what's in the hands of other people. You, you know, you usually don't, 
really like to be around such people. That this isn't this this type of person is not usually loved. That if you want the love of the people, stop running after what they have. And so this hadith is telling you that if you have zuhd, if you're not attached to what the people have, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make the people love you. And there's another way to understand this. The more we run after the approval of the people and the love of the people, the less that we get it. And rather when we stop doing that and instead run after the love and approval of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you get the love of the people as well. So dunya is meant to be a vehicle to bring you to akhirah. And it is possible to make everything that you do an act of worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in order to do that, you have to stay focused. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? You have to make the heart focused on your final destination. If you lose sight of that, that's when you get lost. And I want to give you guys this analogy. It's an analogy which I think is per really, a really a great analogy for this dunya. How many of you guys have seen or been to the ocean? Okay, so I'm, I live in California. So alhamdulillah, we are on the coast to see the ocean. And subhanAllah, one thing about the ocean is it's absolutely stunning. It's beautiful from the shore. But what happens when you enter the ocean? What happens if you enter the ocean without a boat, without a life jacket? What happens to you? You drown. The dunya is just like the ocean. The dunya is just like the ocean. It's beautiful from far away. And you can use it as a bridge, right? Because when you enter the, what do we do with the ocean? Let's think about it. What do we do with the ocean? We, we go into the ocean not to, to stay there forever, but we use it to get somewhere. We use it sometimes as a means to get food. But if you enter the ocean, you drown. And so in this analogy, the ocean is like the dunya. And the ships are like our hearts. As long as the ship stays above, as long as the ocean does not enter the ship, the ship is okay. But let me ask you this. What happens when the ocean enters the boat? What happens when the ship, when the, when the ocean enters into the ship? It, it sinks. And this is exactly what happens when we let the dunya enter our hearts. We can be in this dunya and we can use this dunya for the sake of Allah and to take us to Allah. But as soon as we allow this life to enter our hearts, that's when we sink. That's when we drown. The idea is that you want to be in this dunya without letting the dunya enter your heart. And it's okay to have things of the dunya, right? It's okay to have money. It's okay, you know, to, to be, you know, you, you have families, you get married, you do these things. And in fact, we're not supposed to shun these things. But the point is that the Prophet ﷺ explained and he, he, he taught us that we're in the dunya, but we don't allow it to enter our hearts, that our hearts are only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And inshallah, I want to end with this. It's a saying of Ali radiallahu where he said that, that, you know, being detached from this life, zuhud, does not mean that you do not own anything, but it means that nothing owns you. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم إنه غفور رحيم سبحانك الله وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك. I wanted to, 
you know, kind of just give a short um, reminder for you, for myself and for you, and give more time for questions because usually, you know, um, it's when you you know you kind of think about stuff and then we, we discuss it that people really are able to internalize. Inshallah. So, are there any questions off the bat? Don't all raise your hand at the exact same time. So, so it usually takes one brave soul. You guys are thinking something. Just share it, inshallah. Oh, note cards. Okay. Yeah, if you guys, if you guys feel more comfortable writing your question on the note cards, then that's fine. Yes. <coughs> so her question, I'll repeat her question. It's a, it's a good question. She said, how do you keep your heart stable? Because sometimes you're on the right path, but then you get off the right path. And that's, a, that's an excellent question. Uh, the idea of keeping your heart stable, keeping your heart on the right path, it takes constant reorienting. So you, it's kind of like um, when you're walking, say you're, again, you're trying to get from St. Louis to, to Chicago. Uh, you're going to have to keep checking your compass. You're going to have to keep checking your map. And if you stop doing that, then you're going to get off course. So we have to constantly bring our hearts back and, and, and reorient on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And let me actually give you guys some, some practical tips because this is all very theoretical, right? So let me give you some practical tips. How is it that we're supposed to live our lives with dunya as a means and akhirah as our goal? How do we do that practically? Well, first of all, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us the first thing that he the first thing that we're asked about on the Day of Judgment, what is the first thing you're asked about on the Day of Judgment? Your Salah. So if you want to be able to be in this life without drowning, and by and if you want to be able to stay focused on Akhirah, you have to be, you have to be on top of your Salah. Your Salah cannot ever be compromised. This means that not only are you praying all five prayers, but you're praying them on time. It, you, you can't be... Um, you know, praying them all before you sleep or, you know, like, oh, I'm out right now, so I'm going to just combine them. Because if you do that, then first of all, that's actually a major sin. To miss, to pray outside of its time is a major sin. And when we come on the Day of Judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the first thing we're asked about is that salah. And if our, if our salah is in order, everything else will be okay. And if it's not, then nothing else will be, everything, we will, the person will have failed. So the salah is the first practical way to keep akhirah in mind. If we are not praying or not praying on time, that's why we get lost in dunya. That's the first reason. Salah. The second thing is that, um, so your salah has to be something that you set as pillars. And it's absolutely, you can't compromise when it comes to that, no matter what's going on. The second thing is increasing your dhikr, increasing your remembrance of Allah. So one of the problems that we have is often the company that we keep. If we have friends that are not good influences, it's going to be very, very difficult to stay focused on akhirah. 
So who you have to watch who your company is. You have to watch who your friends are. And the Prophet ﷺ gave the example of good company as entering a perfume shop. And when you enter a perfume shop, one of two things happens. Either you leave with some perfume, or at the very least, you come out of there smelling nice. This is good company. And bad company, he says, is like entering a blacksmith shop. One of two things happens. Either you get burned, or at the very least, you come out with your, smel with your clothes smelling bad. So even if a lot of times people say, well, I'm not doing what they're doing, right? They're in their bad company, but I'm not doing what they're doing. At the very least, it's still affecting you. At the very least, it's making, it's just like that blacksmith shop. You're, you're, you're leaving with your clothes smelling badly. And, and so if you want to be able to have this focus on Ekhara, you have to be very careful about your company. And it is better to be alone than to be in bad company. It is even if it means being alone, that's preferred to bad company because bad company, bad company is a poison of the heart. It, it will affect your heart and it will affect your iman, and it, it will it will be very difficult to, to keep that focus. So changing your so first thing was your salah, and then the remembrance of Allah, and then your company, which helps you in the remembrance of Allah. And when I say remembrance of Allah, how many people have like a weekly? or regular halakha going on? A few people, but, but majority people don't. This is something which is extremely important, that you have a regular, regular diet of this dhikr, of this remembrance, and of gaining knowledge. So this has to be something which you make, this is a practical step, that you, you get together with a few of your friends, you don't need a, a sheikh or sheikha to, to lead this, it's just a time to sit down, Read some Quran, read some hadith, remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it has to be regular. It can't be once a month, once every three months. Because let me give you this example. If you go three months or even three weeks without eating, what happens to you? You wouldn't even last three weeks. You starve to death. The heart also needs food. And the food of the heart is the remembrance of Allah. So it has to be constantly fed in order for that heart to stay alive. You will not be able to succeed in keeping akhirah, your focus, unless you're constantly remembering Allah. So you have to set these things. These are, these are things that you have to set as, as um, institute. I mean, you just have to institutionalize it, meaning your salah and your halaqat and your athkar. Your athkar, there are supplications that you say in the morning and the evening. And if you do this, and you live this, and you're constant in it, thank you, and you're constant in it, then you will be able to have that correct understanding and not drown in dunya. Okay, so, that, so this question says, how does your family, spouse, children, etc. come into play in terms of dunya? Loving your kids, spouses, and balancing your love of them and the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. See, there's this thing, um, this amazing thing called loving for the sake of Allah. We hear this, this phrase a lot, but it's kind of hard to understand what it means, right? Loving for the sake of Allah means that when I love a person, I love them because of Allah, so for example, I love the person because that person loves Allah. 
or I love this person because Allah has told me to love this person or I love this person because it's pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for me to love this person. I don't love for the sake of my nafs. I don't love for some selfish reason, but I love because this is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or because that person loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Loving for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that sometimes you love someone because they help you in your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, loving for the sake of Allah. Now, when it, how does that relate to your spouse, your children? Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, he tells us how to treat our parents, right? And he says that heaven is at the feet of your mother. He says that you're supposed to have, when, when asked, who is most deserving of my kind treatment? He said, your mother. And then he said, who next? He said, your mother. And then he said, who next? He said, your mother. And then he said, who next? And he said, your father. So in this treatment and in this kind treatment of your mother, you're actually doing what? You're obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's how it becomes a ibadah, a form of worship, by being good to your mother, for example. In the same way your spouse, in the same way your children, when you take care of your children and you give them their rights, this is a commandment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Same thing with spouses, that when you're, when you're respectful and kind to each other, that this is pleasing to Allah. So all of these things become an act of worship and obedience to Allah. And then the second part of it, uh, the second part of the question talks about balancing the love of your children, your spouses, your parents, and the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even the word balancing, what, is that, what does that entail? As if they're the same. And you know, I'm going to love you a little today and then love you a little tomorrow. Um, we have to be very careful about what we love most. We have to be very careful because it's very easy and it's a fitna, it's a test, it's, a, it's, it's very easy to, to end up loving our children, our spouses, um, our parents, our friends more than we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is extremely dangerous and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warns us from this. That the love of Allah and his messenger and striving in his cause needs to be more than the love of all these other things. The love of fa your fathers, your sons, your spouses, your job, your, you know, the house, the, the big house that you like. If any of those things, Allah warns us in the Quran, if any of those things are more beloved to you than Allah and his messenger and striving in his cause, then you're, you're basically in trouble. And, and, and what's going to end up happening if that happens, is that you love those things. And notice all those things are halal. Your spouse is halal to love. Your children are halal to love. Your job is halal to love. right? Your, your, your house is halal. You, it's okay to want these things and to like these things and, and to love these things. But if any of these things you love more, then that's when there's a serious problem. Because what happens then is you'll choose that over Allah. Now, nobody in this room, I'd hope no Muslim would ever say, yeah, actually, I love my spouse more than Allah. No one's going no to admit that. And yet, the way we act, let me tell, give you an example. Suppose my spouse says, you know, I, I don't want you to wear hijab. Or somebody that is a prospect, you know, I'm not going to, uh, unless you take off your hijab, I'm not going to marry you. Or you think you're not going to get married unless you take off your hijab or don't wear hijab. And so then you decide, okay, I'm going to take it off. 
what are you what are you doing? What are you saying? What what practically are you loving more? Are you loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more or that person? And that's the idea. If I'm going to do something haram in order to make more profit, what am I really loving more? Am I loving Allah more or am I loving the money more? If I'm going to, you know, if, if, if all I care about is my status and what people think of me, what do I really love more? So that's the problem, is that we have these things, but we have to make sure that our love of these things is never competing with the love of Allah. How do you leave, uh, how do you keep your iman high during times of fitna in this dunya? <coughs> so fitna can mean a lot of different things. Fitna is like a, a test, for example, or, or some sort of hardship. How do you keep your iman high? Through a lot of dhikr, through a lot of ibadah. Uh, you know, we go, through, we go through things in life and we're going to be tested in this life. We know that, right? Is there anyone who's not going to be tested? In fact, we're told in Surah Al-Mulk, this entire life is a test. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, بِعَدَوْذِ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانَ الرَّجِيمِ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ تَبَارَكَ الَّذِي بِيَدِهِ الْمُلْكُ وَهُوَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٌ الَّذِي خَلَقَ الْمَوْتَ وَالْحَيَاةَ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا He is the one who created death and life in order to test you. Which of you are best in deeds? So everything is a test. And don't fall into the trap of thinking that only hardship is a test. You know that ease is a test too. You know that ease is a test too. Money is a test too. Being very wealthy is a test. Being very healthy is a test. Having things easy is a test. Why is it a test? Because Allah is seeing what are you going to do with that money and that health and that ease. And in fact, scholars say that the, that the test of ease is sometimes much harder than the test of hardship. Because when you have those things and you're very comfortable and you have a lot of money and you don't have any problems, it's very easy to do what? To forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to become distracted. So that's why sometimes it's a harder test. And then when Allah takes those things away from you, all of a sudden you wake up and you turn back to Allah. And by the way, that's the point. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes things away from us sometimes. is to make us wake up and turn back to Him. So all of these things are tests. How do you keep your iman high? You, you remember Allah often. You remember Allah often. You increase in your ibadah. And you know one of the, the, the best advice uh, I can give you in terms of your ibadah, besides your salah and your athkar, is the, is the prayer in the last third of the night. This is the prayer just before fajr time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the hadith Qudsi, that during that time, in the last third of the night, just before Fajr, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends to the, to the lowest heaven, to the nearest heaven to the earth. And He calls out, who is calling on me so I can answer? Who is seeking something from me so I can give them? Who is asking forgiveness from me so that I can forgive them? Allah calls out to us at that time. So He's looking for those who are calling on Him at that time of night. This is one of the best ways to become close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, this doesn't this isn't instead of the fara'id. You have to be very careful that the five the, the obligatory things must be in place. Those things must come first. And then we add the other things. 
But when you do that, and you and 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 this salah, this is what actually will strengthen you to deal with the fitna. In fact, the first commandment that was given to the Prophet ﷺ, what was it? Who knows? What was what was it at the beginning of his message? What is he told to do? This prayer in the last third of the night. Tahajjud. That's what he's that's what he's told to do at the very beginning. Surah Al Muzammil. That's what he's told to do. This is one of the first ayat that are that are revealed to him. Why is he told to pray in the last third of the night? This should be a lesson for us. Because that is what was going to give him the strength to do what he needed to do. He had a very heavy mission to come. That was his that was his training. That was what was going to give him the strength to do it. And it's the same thing for us. You know, if we want the strength to be able to do the things we need to do and to face the challenges that we are going to face in life, this is where we get the strength. This is where we get the fuel, is in that, in the salah, in the prayer, and especially this prayer in the last third of the night. So someone is asking, um, okay, this is a good question. Uh, alaikum. you already mentioned some practical advice to be in a constant state of dhikr. Could you give us some examples of things in our daily lives which may negatively affect our hearts without us even realizing it? Thank you for asking this question. This is an excellent question because there are a lot of poisons of the heart that we don't even realize are poisons. One of the poisons of the heart I already spoke about, and that's bad company. When your company is bad, it is poisoning you. Another poison of the heart is not controlling what goes into your eyes. Not controlling what goes into your eyes. What we have to realize is that there are the heart is like this very uh, sacred land because the heart is where the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can live. It's the heart where you can feel you can feel Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the organ that allows you to connect to him. So you have to take very good care of it because if you don't take good care of it, you can't connect to Allah. It's like, you know, you have a house and if you don't clean that house, the king is not going to enter that house because kings don't enter dirty houses. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the gifts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do not enter a dirty heart. If you want to be close to Allah, you have to clean your heart. And therefore, you have to protect your heart from dirt and from poison. So one of the openings to the heart is the eyes. What you look at goes directly to the heart and imprints on your heart. Sometimes we take this too lightly. We look at, you know, every single day we look at shame, shame, shameless things. And we don't lower our gaze. As a result, what we're doing is pouring, dumping poison and dirt into the heart. This is a poison of the heart, that the, the eyes, what we see, what we look at of haram. In the same way, what you hear, what goes into your ears, is also a pathway to your heart and will make, will affect your heart. So if you want to be close to Allah and you're wondering, why is it that I don't feel close to Allah? These are some of the reasons. When we do these things, they create, they put like spots, black spots on our heart. 
We're told that every time we sin, there's a black spot that gets put on the heart. And if we don't repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that black, black spot stays there. And the next time we sin, another black spot. And another, and another, and another. Until something really scary happens. The entire heart gets covered with these black spots. And when that happens, the heart becomes sick and eventually dead. You know what a dead heart is like? That's a heart that is so far away from Allah, they don't even notice. It's dead. A sick heart still has some life in it, but still distant from Allah. So the way to remove that distance is you have to clean it of those black spots. How do you clean the heart of black spots? Istighfar tawbah. This is how we have to clean the heart, is turning back to Allah, asking Allah for forgiveness, repenting to Allah. That's the, that's the cleanser. But if I'm asking for Allah for forgiveness, I'm cleaning the black spots, but then I'm also constantly pouring more dirt. What's happening? My heart stays dirty. So we have to shut off those openings to the dirt, the eyes and the ears and the tongue. You know, what we speak has an effect on us. And also what we think, our mind. Our mind also ha is a, has a direct pathway to the heart. Um, <clears throat> some other poisons uh, is, is I, I mentioned it when, with regards to the tongue, but too much talking. Too much talking. You know, we just, we're in the habit of just sometimes just talking a lot. Just the fact that we talk too much is a poison of the heart. Because a lot of times one will, will say something, will make a mistake, and that will be against us. But also, sometimes it's just useless. And it ends up replacing the remembrance of Allah. It's just useless talk. So controlling how much we talk is actually part of purifying the heart. Okay, so this question says, what do you do when you love something or someone more than Allah and his messenger? How do you go back to loving Allah more? Honest and great question. The way to, to love Allah more is to know Allah more. The reason why we sometimes love other things more than Allah is because we really don't know Allah. We just don't. You know, it, it, we don't read his words. We don't reflect on his attributes. We don't, we don't get closer to him. So because we don't, we don't actually know him, that's why we can love something else as, as much or more than him. And one example you can think about is this. You know when you're a kid, you might think that a toy Ferrari is like the coolest thing in the world, right? And if you, you could, you know, beg your parents to get you this Ferrari, and finally you get the Ferrari and you're just, you're the happiest person in the world. But then a few years later, you grow up and you realize that there's a real Ferrari and you see the real Ferrari. Now how much are you going to value that toy Ferrari once you see the real one? It becomes meaningless. The reason why we love others more than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is we haven't really seen Allah. And when I say see is with the heart. We don't really know Allah. So that's why we think other things are so important. The more you, if you can, if you can start to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his, his words, reading and studying his words. One of our problems is even when we read the Quran, we don't even know what it means. If you guys were to get a letter in the mail from the president, 
and it had very important instructions in there in it for you. But suppose you didn't understand the language of the letter. Would you not bother getting it translated? I mean, this is, and suppose it was from the most powerful king, and he wrote you specifically a letter, but it was in a language you don't understand. Are you going to make the effort to at least translate it and understand what it means? Yeah, you will. Because he has a lot of power over you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a message in the, in the Quran. But we don't even take the time to understand it. So understanding his words will make us get closer to him and know him. And the more that we see and know him, the more that we realize there's no comparison to him. You can't possibly love something else more or, or anywhere near it because, the, I mean, we see what he is or we, we see more of what he is. We can't conceive of what he is fully. But the more you know Allah, the more you love him. And the more you realize that nothing is compared to him and nothing is comparable to him. So you understand it's a deficiency in knowing Allah that we don't know him. And that's why we love other things more. There was just uh, one last question um, regarding someone who is asking about, like a practical concern. What if you have your, your job during the halakha time or you're busy during that time? Uh, first of all, I would say if we want to get closer to Allah, the first step is turn to him, make dua, ask him. Ask him to forgive your sins and ask him to bring you closer to him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if you call on him, he will respond. He will, this is a promise of Allah, that if you turn to him and you call on him and you ask for his help, he will respond. Allah never turns away from you. It's we who turn away from Allah. Allah is always there, but we're the ones who turn our back and we run in the opposite direction. And we need to turn around and come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أقولي قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم إنه غفور رحيم سبحانك الله وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته